Um, when Melody asked uh, if I would have a few words on prayer, I felt like she was asking me to, to have a few words on physical chemistry or something like that. Because um, I have probably the least um, experience uh, in this audience, in this congregation, on prayer. Um, I am so practical that uh, it's hard for me to, um, to put into words the, that which you cannot see, feel, hear, or should I say touch, um, and, and try to elucidate um, on the importance of, of something that it's hard to wrap your fingers around and yet is so utterly simple as having a conversation. But I had promised to God um, years ago that if I was ever asked to speak that I would. And so I got to keep my end of the bargain, right? <clears throat> so um, my talk this, this afternoon is on humility and prayer. Um, another reason why it's probably important for me to uh, present this topic because um, we all need a little humility, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, before we go into, into the concept of humility in prayer, which I think we're all going to develop this afternoon, um, I want to talk a little bit about humility in our lives. Um, so I'll have a quick word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the beautiful Sabbath afternoon that you have granted us, Lord, uh, an opportunity to commune with you in uh, your nature. And we would ask that you would condescend to be with us this afternoon in a mighty way, that lives uh, be changed by your Holy Spirit. These, these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I remember the Sabbath afternoon. It was uh, GYC 2008, a couple months ago. Um, and I dislike the Sabbath afternoon activity at GYC for the last several years. Um, chiefly because it really it really pricks at this issue of humility, right? Um, for those of you who haven't gone to GYC before, Sabbath afternoon is when all the young people um, pile into school buses and go into the neighboring vicinity, and um, we knock on doors and we look for Bible studies, right? And I, every year I tell my wife, I'm not doing the door-to-door -door thing. I'm not doing the door-to-door -door thing. And she says, well, it's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. It's just, let's go. And, and so I just, I've never liked the door-to-door -door thing, you know. And so um, <clears throat> after the, 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 the Sabbath talk, you're so inspired. You're like, okay, I'm going to do the door-to-door -door thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And it's still in the back of my head. I'm scared to death. It's just that whole rejection thing, you know. Um, I decided that I would uh, set all my anxiety aside and, and go forward and participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ this year. Um, and so uh, we went, uh, and the bus driver knew that I was nervous, and she, know, she could tell, he could see it a mile away, and she, and she says, Carlos, I'm going to pray with you. And I was like, yeah, do something, because <laughs> I need help. Um, and so she prayed, she prayed for me and she prayed with me and, um, it was cold this year. It was freezing. It was probably 10 degrees. There was a blizzard coming on. Um, and, uh, I was, and I had my Crocs on and all the cold just right through my little holes in the, 
And so I was miserable, and, and so I was, you know, kind of grumpy and stomping, and we go to the first door, and, um, and I'm babbling, because that's what I do when I'm nervous. Well, I actually do it all the time. But, um, but my wife is telling me, relax and calm down. And I'm like, oh, look at the uh, little Santa Claus. And oh, just to let their garden hose out, you know. And just babbling about everything, you know, trying to, dis- to kind of disperse my, my nervousness and my anxiety. And finally we go and we knock on the door. And, um, and a 60-some-year-old gentleman opens the door. And I immediately start saying, hi, my name is Carlos Moretta, and this is Daphne, and we're from California, to which he responds, great, go back. And he slammed the door on our face. And I was beside myself. I was like, I thought it was a joke, and I just waited. I said, this, I know he didn't just slam the door on my face. And Daphne was like, well, let's go. I'm like, no, 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 he's going to open up again. Let's stay right here. And so, you know, the, the reality of the situation started dawning on me that that um, he did slam the door in our face, and he wasn't going to open up. Um, and so uh, I, I was, I was very disappointed, you know, um, very disappointed. This was clearly a joke. I thought, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. Well, you know, when you're when you're disappointed like that, the devil takes advantage. And you know, it wasn't long before, just seconds after that, I, I started hearing these these ideas come into my head, you know, like, um, you know, you don't deserve this, Carlos. You don't deserve to be treated like this, right? Um, have some pride. Don't, don't let yourself be treated like an animal. Go back to the convention center. I mean, nice, warm, um, you know, you, you've gone to school way too long to be treated like this. These are all ideas that were just crossing my head, you know? And so... Um, it, all from the same source. Yes, the same source. But, you know, these little ideas work profoundly when, when you've just been humiliated, you know, um, or humbled. Not necessarily humiliated, but humbled. Uh, and it only proved my point uh, that, that, door, that to me, that door-to-door door was just not, effect, it was an ineffective ministry for me, or so I thought. And so, so I was humiliated, you know, and, and funny how the more you think you are somebody or someone, the more painful and debilitating it is when you are humbled. Uh, so why is it hard to be humbled? Well, chiefly because uh, we're not humble to begin with. You know, a lot of us think we are. We dress modestly. We, um, we live conservatively. We drive a, a little beater like I do, uh, 1989 or 88 Tercel. And everyone's like, wow, he's so humble. You're so humble. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I'm humble. I, I drive a piece of junk car, right? Um, so my question, I guess, would be is, is this the kind of humility that Christ exemplified or requires? And I don't think it is. Um, society tells us to be proud. And that's what we're surrounded by uh, in your upbringing. Be proud of your work, be proud of your work ethic, be proud of your heritage, be proud of um, your accomplishments, of yourself. Stand tall, be proud. But we're warned of this little word, pride. Uh, I was reading in Patriarchs and Prophets, um, and and Ellen White had a really interesting 
a really interesting take on, on this little word pride. Speaking of David after his particular sin, it says, uh, you know, the Bible has little to say in the praise of men. Little space is given to recounting the virtues of even the best men who have ever lived. This silence is not without purpose. It is not without a lesson. All the good qualities that men possess are, are the gift of God. Their good deeds are performed by the grace of God through Christ. Since they owe all to, the, to God, the glory of whatever they do or whatever they are or they do belongs to him alone. They are but instruments in his hand. More than this, as all the lessons of the Bible history teach, it is a perilous thing to praise or exalt men. For if one comes to lose sight of his entire dependence on God and trust to his own strength, he is sure to fall. Man is contending with foes who are stronger than he. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, against powers, against the rulers of dark of the darkness of this world against wicked spirits in high places, Ephesians 6.12. It is impossible for us in our own strength to maintain the conflict, and whatever diverts the mind from God, whatever leads to self-exaltation, to self-dependence, is surely preparing the way for our overthrow. The tenor is, and I like this last statement, this last sentence, the tenor of the Bible, in other words, the crux of the Bible, is to inculcate distrust in human power and to encourage trust in divine power. So in Isaiah, this is the kind of God we serve. In Isaiah 57, 15, I mean, how important is it for God? And we notice when we look at the, pa- at the pages of this book right here, from cover to cover, the, the sequence is easy to follow. It's uh, God in a perfect, uh, a perfect God, perfect creation, in perfect union, and the breakup of that perfect union, and then God's effort to bring it together once again. And so God, throughout this entire book, tells us what his requirements are for that union to come uh, through to its uh, fruition once again. In Isaiah 57, 15, you can turn in your Bibles, Isaiah 57, 15 it says for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit that is of a what a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So, let's look at the example of Jesus Christ. The creator of the universe was humbled before his very own creation. He could have come as the Jews expected with all the pomp and all the royalty that he deserved, right? But what percentage of the world's population would be able to identify with that kind of a savior? He had to come as a poor, lowly peasant because the majority of the world consists of what? Poor, lowly peasants. It's no small undertaking, this example that Christ left us. To be everything and become nothing, to be able to approach, befriend, and save someone who thinks they have everything, but they really don't. So how do we 
approach this kind of a savior? Well, we do it as he did to us. We set aside our titles, we set aside our accolades, our careers, our possessions, the things the world says are everything. We put them aside and we come to God with a spirit of humility that places us exactly where we are to be before the creator of the universe. God is not so mysterious about this particular issue. In his word, he gives us the equation of the prayer of humility. And we'll find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. And this is a promise which which gives God's requirements, but also gives God's, uh, God's promise of blessing if his requirements are met. This is the condition. Verse 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's the condition. And turn from their wicked ways. That's another condition. Probably an even bigger condition. Then will I hear, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And now I like verse 15. It says, now mine eyes shall be open, my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. God's not so mysterious. Faith I live by, page 138. The men who humble themselves even as a little child are the men who will be taught by God. The Lord is not dependent on any man's talents, for he is the source of all perfect gifts. The very humblest man, if he loves and fears God, is the possessor of heavenly gifts. The Lord can use such a man, but he does not strive to work himself according to his own standard. He works with fear and trembling, lest he spoil the pattern his life is an expression of the life of Christ. The prayer of humility demands that you are nothing. And you are in the presence of a God who is everything. It requires for you to take inventory of your life and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sinful inconsistencies. And for you to agree and admit that you were wrong and that you need help. Now God can work in you his good will. But what is his will? And we've all been, you know, we're good uh, Bible-believing, Seventh-day Adventist Christians. We believe, we know the answer to this, right? It's, it's our, his will is our sanctification, right? But, you know, practically speaking, listen to this quote from Home Missionary. Powerful quote. When God's people humble the soul before him, and this is very particular to us, to us in this generation. When God's people humble the soul before him, individually seeking his Holy Spirit with all the heart, there will be heard from human lips such a testimony as is represented in this scripture. What scripture am I going to read? Revelation? Oh, maybe you guys... Maybe y'all can help me with this, and you'll, you'll know what I'm saying. The scripture is this. 
After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Revelation 18. There will be faces aglow with the love of God. There will be lips touched with holy fire, saying, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Humility is necessary for the loud cry. These are the people that will wrap up the great controversy. So we walked to the next house. My face was long. I just really hated this. We knocked on the house next door and I hoped no one would open and no one did. And I said, praise the Lord. He does, <laughs> he does hear my prayers. I thought no one opened when we, wa- when we knocked on the third house. This isn't so bad. I could do this for another couple hours, I thought. <clears throat> As we walked through the chilling snowdrift to the next house, a large Cadillac pulled up to the side of the road. I glanced, I glanced over as we walked by and I noticed that um, uh, the man who was in the driver's seat or the individual who was in the driver's seat was signaling to me to come over. And so at this point, I'm, I'm just very cynical. Um, the idea of being abducted wasn't repulsive <laughs> to me at that moment. At least it was a good excuse for me not finishing the door-to-door campaign, right? So um, I walked over and I uh, looked inside as the window, as the tinted window came down. And to my amazement, um, the man inside said this, Hey, I'm the guy who slammed the door on your face a couple houses down. I just wanted to say I'm sorry and ask, what do you have for me? I got my words out quickly so we both wouldn't freeze in the Minneapolis <laughs> blizzard, but I walked away from that car humbled. Humbled that this man set aside his pride to go out and find us and apologize. Humbled that I thought I was someone when I was actually a nobody. And humbled because I thought God needed, to, needed me to be somebody to reach others when Jesus taught that a nobody is more effective. Finally, this encounter also taught me how I should approach God when I pray. I lay aside everything the world says I am, and I say, God, I'm the guy who slams the door on you all the time. I'm sorry, I am no one. Have mercy on me and show me now, what do you have for me? My heart's challenge for you this afternoon is this, the brokenness of beauty. I'm going to have Melody Melody, hand out um, a copy of these to everyone, and I just want to go over uh, the beauty of brokenness. I said the brokenness of beauty, didn't I? It's the other way around. Um, The beauty of brokenness. I want us to think on these words, and then um, Melody will have... uh, some instructions for us as we uh, part and find our uh, 
praying areas or places where we're going to spend uh, the next um, segment praying. The beauty of brokenness. Proud self-people, self-filled people focus on the failures of others, whereas broken, humble people are overwhelmed with the sense of their own spiritual need. Proud, self-filled people look down on others, while broken, humble people esteem all others better than themselves. Proud people are independent, self-sufficient. Broken people have a dependent spirit. They recognize their need for God's strength. Proud people maintain control. Must be my way or the highway. Whereas broken people will surrender their control and they only want God's way. Proud people have to prove that they are right, whereas broken people are willing to yield to the right, or yield the right to be right. Proud people claim the rights, claim rights with others and God, and broken people yield rights to God and others. Proud people have demanding spirits, broken people have giving spirits. Proud people are self-protective of their own space, time, reputation, and possession. Broken people have a a spirit of self-denial and are willing to let go of personal space, time, and possessions. Proud people desire to be served. Broken people are motivated to serve others. Proud people desire to be a success so others will see. Humble people desire to be faithful to God and help others succeed. Proud people desire to be recognized and appreciated. Broken people are, have a sense of unworthiness and are thrilled to be used at all and give credit to others. Proud people think of what they can do for God. Humble people know they have nothing to offer God. Proud people feel confident in how much they know. Broken people humbled are humbled by how much they have to learn. Proud people are self-conscious and always think of what will benefit self, whereas humble people are not concerned with self at all, but only God's glory. Proud people keep people at arm's length. Humble people risk getting close to others in loving and being vulnerable. Proud people quick are quick to blame others. Humble people accept personal responsibility, acknowledge when they do wrong. Proud people are unapproachable, broken people easy to be entreated. Proud people are defensive when criticized. Broken people receive criticism with a humble, open heart. Proud people are concerned with being respectable. Humble people are concerned with being real. Proud people are concerned about what others think. Humble people are all that matters is what God knows and thinks. Proud people find it difficult to share their spiritual needs with others. Broken people are willing to be open and transparent with others. Proud people have a hard time saying, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Broken people are quick to admit failure and seek forgiveness. Proud people, when confessing, um, when confessing sin, they deal with it in generalities, whereas humble people confess sin in specifics. Proud people are most remorseful over their sin when they are caught. Humble people strive to be cleansed and free of sin at all costs to self. Proud people can compare themselves with others and feel deserving of honor, whereas humble people compare themselves to the holiness of God and realize they are unworthy. Proud people do good for God, hoping others will notice. Humble people do good quietly when no one is looking because they love God. 
proud people thank God they aren't like the world, whereas humble people realize sin and self-pride and are just as are just as deadly as the world's. Proud people don't think they need to repent, but are sure everyone else does. Humble people are continual, uh, have a continual heart attitude of repentance. Proud people see all the good they do and feel worthy of salvation, whereas humble people realize salvation comes only by the blood of Christ, and no one deserves it. Proud people blind are blind to their true heart's condition, whereas broken, humble people realize their true heart condition and plead for God's grace. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again. And as we take time uh, in, a quiet, in our quiet moments, um, as we separate now, we ask, Father, that you would have a, an open conversation uh, with us, Father. Convict us of our shortcomings and help us, Lord, to rely wholly on you for salvation and forgiveness of sins. Thank you for this opportunity. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.